Animal Crossing Church, how are you doing today? You doing all right? I, I don't know how you can't be. That was 30 baptisms, you know? We just watched 30 baptisms. It's just like, it's amazing. You know what we call that at the crossing? We call that last week. You know, and there's so many things that are going on in this world that can be so discouraging, depressing, can create disillusionment. It's good to know that God never stops working, that He's working in the hearts and the lives of people. And that is a visual reminder of that. That's not just an individual that's being changed. That's a family. That's a generation after generation. I mean, there's incredible things that God is doing. We sing that song, even if I don't see it, you're working. If I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working, and He never does stop working. I'm so thankful that we have that opportunity to reflect on that truth. I want to welcome all of the campuses that are joining with us today from all over uh, this region. If you're inside or online, so thankful for each and every one of you as well. We're in this series called Weeds in My Garden, talking about this issue of mental health that we're all dealing with and how that relates to God's Word, what God has to say about it, and how we walk that out spiritually. Would you agree with me that it seems like every generation has a rougher time than the generation preceding it? It just seems like the problems, they get just more pronounced, they get more vivid, strong, and harder to to manage. Uh, And and as a church, we really want to help you. We want to, you know, we see that and and, uh, we want to be able to reach out to that. I noticed that at camp. This, uh, this last year. I mean, we had an incredible camp. Largest amount of students that we've ever had. We were full uh, with our camp uh, for, for virtually every week, and all the rest of the camp weeks were taken up by other churches using our camp. So lots of business done for the Lord uh, all this summer. But there was a statistic that came out of that camp that really kind of alarmed me. One of our camps is called Fuse Camp, and that's middle school, junior high. And you, you would imagine that with all these kids that we have coming to all of our locations and having a full camp, the, the, the kids that would come to camp would probably be the most connected, the most plugged in, right? Half, 50% of the kids that went to Fuse Camp attend church less than six times in a year. Half. Which means their parents probably aren't attending either. And I'll tell you why that's a big deal to me. It's a big deal because if that's where they're getting their spiritual nourishment, if that's where they're learning about who they are in Christ and, and how they can develop spiritually, and they're getting that little uh, of, a, of, of a taste of that, how are they going to manage in this world that just keeps spiraling culturally? How are they going to have the tools that they need? And, of course, I'm looking at that going, how, as a church... Are we able to substantially help them in that process, especially if we have so little exposure to them? Early this year, uh, Allison and I had the opportunity to go visit some friends. Uh, he's a pastor of a church in Post Falls, Idaho, right across the, uh, the border from Spokane, Washington. His name's Jim Putman, his wife's Lori Putman. And uh, uh, we were doing some consulting for them, like secret shoppers. It was actually a lot of fun going to their different locations and then talking about all the things that we saw, whether they were good or bad, and uh, to try to help 
them out. And it was great to connect with them. And when we're in the car together, you know, you're going to be talking about things that pertain to ministry. And one of my questions to him was, like, what was one of the best sermon series that you've done in the recent past that you feel like really just got a lot of traction? And he told me about a series that they were doing, they had done, called Irreplaceable. And it, was a, it, had, it had to do with suicide. And I'm thinking, wow, that's like preaching on that. He said, well, in our community, uh, one of uh, the key administrators, school, public school administrators, committed suicide not too long ago. And then right after that, the captain of the football, the, the varsity football team did. And it just, it just rocked the community. And the fact was that there was an epidemic. They were realizing there's this epidemic of people that are doing this. They're, commit, they're, they're contemplating it or they're doing it. And he started kind of going off on these statistics uh, where they, they actually went into the schools to do counseling. And uh, through that process, they, they did some research. And uh, this research just really showed a lot of things. Uh, there were 400 kids in that public school, that first one that they went to, and they thought that there might be a few kids who would go home and get permission to tell their stories. 200 of them did. Half of the student population. And you know, I was thinking, we're, we're planning a mental health series in the summer anyway. I really felt like this would really dovetail into that because you know, that's not something that's just happening in northern Idaho. That's happening all over the country. Uh, we're all experiencing that. And it may, it, you may have experienced that with people that you know, that you love, that you care for, and it spins you out. Like, what in the world is going on? His teaching focused on three lies that Satan surrounds us with and encourages us to believe about ourselves. And how and, and irreplaceable that series was about dispelling those lies. And where he got those was from people that he talked to and that his staff had talked to that had contemplated or attempted suicide, and then others who actually had accomplished it and what they left in their suicide notes. So this week, I'm going to talk about the first of three lies. The next three weeks, we're going to talk about these three lies, and we're going to dispel this because, because it's amazing how much we might believe these lies. First one, the first lie we tend to believe is that my life is meaningless. It doesn't really matter. It's worthless. I really won't be missed. So what's the point? Many of you have had that thought, in your head. Some of you actually have that thought in your head right now. So the question is, where does that lie come from? I'm going to show that it's a lie. Where does it come from? What's contributing to it? And how can we move against it? In the late 1990s, as a result of this uh, amount of school shootings, uh, I mean, we all kind of remember Columbine and and then it started, I mean, and it's becoming more and more of a, of a thing that you're hearing. Uh, Dartmouth Medical School, and you know, Dartmouth, the prestigious college, did a landmark study, and it was called Hardwired to Connect. It came out in 2003, and uh, it was done by 33 
uh, children's doctors, by research scientists, mental health professionals, and youth service professionals. And this was the opening statement of that study. What is the crisis? The crisis comes in two parts. The first part is the deteriorating behavioral and mental health of U.S. children. We are witnessing high and rising rates of depression, anxiety, attention deficit, conduct disorders, thoughts of suicide, and other serious mental, emotional, and behavioral problems uh, among U.S. children and adolescents. Listen to how the report concludes, because you won't believe it. The report concludes that the main cause of the crisis in American childhood and adolescence is a lack of connectedness, i.e., close connections to other people and connections, this is the part that blows me away, connections to moral and spiritual meaning. This was Dartmouth. It's not a Christian school, you know. It wasn't written by Christians. It was a secular study. But they realized that moral and and spiritual underpinnings are critical to your emotional well-being. Underneath this fact is that there are destroyers of those critical connections in our culture today, right? Things that just wipe us out, like divorce, like the busyness of our schedules, like the shallowness of relationships, like people having a lack of honesty in their relationships, like people moving because they want to get a better job and they're disconnecting from their family, their extended family, their close friends. And so you can't really have those lifelong connections that are so meaningful. Listen, you and I, we were wired for deep connection. God made us that way. We're wired for intimate relationships, but because many of them are not deep or they're not intimate anymore, it is producing a lot of anxiety and depression. Between 2007 and 2017, that 10-year period, the number of those suffering with anxiety and depression tripled in teens. The Journal of the American Medical Association stated this, and this is a quote, people in each generation of the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than the people of the preceding generation. There are actual studies that show that depression can be passed on genetically which also contributes to these increasing levels. And our behaviors can uh, contribute to this. And one of the reasons is we can't shut our brains off. You get in a room with seven people, just sitting down with seven people, right? At an, you're in an airport and you're waiting for a... You name it. Any, what do you see? Everybody's on their phone. Everybody is on their phone. And you know what's happening? They cannot disconnect. Can't do it. Uh, You can't shut your brain off, whether it's media, whether it's social media, whether it's gaming, whatever it is. And they contribute to something that Wes Beavis is going to be talking about in a few uh, weeks. Psychiatrist, psychologist is going to be here. 
to the overwork of the stimulation of those areas of our body, those hormonal areas that produce serotonin and dopamine. And they overwork us in those areas until they burn out their ability to produce it. And you need those chemicals. God created you to produce those chemicals hormonally because they contribute to feelings of peace and joy, which you all need and I need. Now, you already know that I'm standing up here and I'm not going to be focusing on all that stuff. I'm going to be focusing on a spiritual problem. But I want to be really clear about this before I do that. Anxiety, depression, and different forms of mental illnesses are real. They are real. And we have to get over the stigma that, hey, just suck it up, buttercup. We got to get over the stigma of, you know, that's not really uh, uh, like you should just be able to manage that. Look, if you came to me and I, uh, you know, and while we're talking, you, you had a little, you know, a little beeper go off and I'm watching you uh, inject yourself with some insulin because you're diabetic. Would you think I would say, hey, you don't need to do that. Just pray about it. You just need to pray about it. And this is just as real as that. And I want to say one other thing. God uses doctors. He uses doctors. He's, he's the one who's empowered doctors to know what they need to know, to prescribe what they need to prescribe, to help you. So you need to embrace that. That's a gift of God. And we need to get over the stigma, okay? Use the tools that are, that are available for you. But there is a big piece being left out and we have to consider it even focus on it and that's what I want to do today and I'm going to begin with the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6 starting in verse 10 he said this finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against say this with me the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is not a human battle. But against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly or spiritual realms. That's scary. I mean, is he just trying to scare us? Is he trying to tell us some kind of a, like a horror story or something? No. Satan is real. The Bible's very clear. Satan is real, and the battle is real, and whether or not you want to admit it, you're in it. You're in that battle. Let me tell you something about it. You're fighting against an enemy you can't see, and he is a lot stronger than you, and he is a lot smarter than you. Jesus spoke about it. Do you believe him? Do you trust Jesus? John 8, 44, he says this, you belong to your father, uh, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He's speaking to those people that were coming against him. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. What does Jesus teach us? The devil is a liar and he's a killer. And he will try to take your life. He'll try to take it all at once, 
or he'll try to take it a piece at a time. How does he do it? You know how he does it. I don't need to preach this to you. You already know. Satan creates a culture. He creates a culture of darkness, and he creates a culture of death, and he does it with lies. A culture of darkness and death with lies. He partners with our culture. I mean, we live in this culture, right? He partners with our culture, and that's where this lie comes from. And it comes from all different angles. And I don't have time to talk about all the angles, but I'll hit a few of them, okay? Here's one. Education. Academics. Science. At least certain kinds of science. Every one of you, all of my locations, if you went to public school, you were taught that you are the product of evolution, right? Right? You have been taught that the world is so many billions of years old. You're taught about natural selection, survival of the fittest, Darwinism. You're taught about all this, right? Ultimately, if you want to boil all that down and see what's at the bottom of the pot when you're done boiling it all out, it's this. The lie is, you are a product of randomness. You're a coincidence. The reason that you exist is that just certain things came together over a long period of time, right? Basically, you're an accident. You're not special. You're not important. And when you think about the vastness of the universe, you're actually very small and very insignificant. Because there's no such thing in that world, that academic world or that science world, Uh, about a spiritual realm, then it's just silly to think that there's actually an enemy after us. Satan loves that. Can you think of a better way to ambush us than for a whole bunch of people to believe that he doesn't even exist? Just think about what he's able to get away with. So when you're dealing with the spiritual realm, this is what you hear. I know what you hear. I hear it too. That's just your own voice in your head. Listen, there's nothing after you die. You just die. Listen, you're in pain. So just end your pain. It won't matter because you don't matter. He lies to us. Those are the lies we're hearing. I mean, how can we do that? If we're not hearing that, and if we don't have something that's going on in our lives reinforcing that, he lies to us about who we are. He lies about the consequences of our behavior. He says, there are no such, there's no such thing as moral absolutes. You know what laws and morality is? It's just what everybody gets together and decides. Whatever they say is right and wrong. There's no absolute right and wrong. If you want to be happy, you do you. If you want happiness in your life, make that happiness yourself. Do whatever you need to do to get that happiness yourself, right? It's okay. It's okay to step on others because there really isn't any right and wrong. It's all about making you feel better. 
If you want to be a bully, go ahead and be a bully. Go ahead. Write that post. Get your likes. If I want to have sex with somebody else, if that makes me feel good, go ahead and do it. If I get pregnant or cause a pregnancy, we can just abort it. That little baby's in the way of my happiness. My future. And my happiness is more important. Look, just don't call it a baby. Call it a fetus. It's easier. He lies about the nature of who we are. People are just animals. We're just animals. We're, we're part of the, the whole animal world. We're, we're a little smarter than they are. You know, we've evolved a little bit more, but we're just animals. Dude, we kill animals. Anybody been to a McDonald's lately? You're eating an animal. You ever go to Arby's? They got the meats. Where you think they got the meats? <laughs> What's the difference, Satan says? Huh. That person's skin color means he's inferior to you. Lie. That person at the border is wrecking our economy. Me, happiness. Those older people are destroying Social Security. Why don't we have euthanasia? And on and on and on it goes. Listen to me. We live in a culture of darkness and death. Filled with lies. Now right now I'd like to have like a bottle of mouthwash and I'd like to like... Because that's all that is. That is not you. That is not who you are. But we believe these lies. In the midst of all of that, now I'm glad you stayed with me. In the midst of all that, God creates a culture of light and life and truth. Would you just for a moment let God tell you the true nature of who you are? Would you do that? Do you know how far you have to go in the Bible to find this out? First page. You can find it out in the very first page. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. This is who you are. Then God said, Let us make mankind, say this with me, in our image. Basically, that's saying, let us make mankind like us. Like us. In our likeness. We, what does that mean? It means we look like Him. Is that right? Am I reading that wrong? So that they may say this word. Do you know that only God, sovereign God, has an indisputable right to rule? Only God has a right to rule, and He rules over the whole universe, right? And you know how He made us? He made us to do this because we're made in His image and in His likeness. We reflect Him. Wow. Let Him rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, he created them. He says it three times. 
He wants you to know that. I mean, is it once enough? No. I'm going to say it three times in two verses. Male and female. He created them. This world is not an accident. It was designed intelligently by someone you can't and I can't fathom, can't even begin to understand. You are not an accident. This world is not an accident. You're not an accident. As a matter of fact, you're special. Very, very special. You have a quality in you because you were made in the image of God that will outlast this world. There is an eternal quality to you because you were made to be like Him. Now, these three words, I just hope that they resonate with you today, and it's this. You are known. He knows you. Oh, God knows everything. Okay, you believe in God. God knows everything. God knows me. Oh, no, no. You You don't get that word. You don't get that word known. Let David, the king, explain it to you in Psalm 139. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. He knows when you get a snack when you're watching TV. He knows. You perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows what you're thinking right now. Keeps track of what you're thinking. You discern my going out and my lying down. For those of us that are older, he has to keep up with us at night, right? We're getting up and never mind. Anyway, you're familiar with all my ways. He knows all your ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Does this sound like a distant God? Does this sound like a God who's really not that interested? You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God made you and He made you uniquely. There's no one like you. There's no one even remotely like you. You are a masterpiece of God. He signs His work. And if you don't believe me, look at the verses 13 to 16 in that same chapter. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. Some of you got mom issues and dad issues, and you know what? Your biological mother and father participated in your birth, but it was God who created you. It was God who created you. And you need to understand that, because no matter what anyone else says about you, you are valuable to Him. And His opinion is the opinion that matters most. He made you beautiful. And He made you precious. And if you doubt that for a minute, answer me this. Why would He give up His only Son to die for you if He didn't consider you precious? And when they nailed Jesus to that cross, 
as those nails pierced his flesh and held him to that wood, he was saying, hey, I love you like this much. That is how valuable you are to him. You're known. God tells you the true reality of your behavior. Because we all have behavior, right? And let me just tell you this. Sin is real, and you've done a lot of it. And so have I. We're all sinners. It's in you. Don't give me any excuses. You can blame God if you want. But you and I, we're the product of our sinful natures and the product of all the sinful natures, of all the choices, of all the people around us in our culture that they made for us, these choices they made for us, right? Because this is a sinful, dark world filled with lies from the devil himself. And if you wonder, you know, well, if I'm made in the image of God, why do I find it so easy to run into darkness? Well, that's why. It's because of that nature inside of us. And the people around us. But beneath all that, you're more. You're so much more. And God, God beneath all that, when he sent Jesus to come here to this earth and die on the cross and shed his blood to cleanse you from your sin, to rise from the dead, to prove that he has the ability to raise you from the dead. Before Jesus was born, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah wrote this in the Old Testament. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. John recorded it in John 1.5 and 1.12. He said this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He says in 12, Yet all who did receive Him, because Jesus is that light, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to be called the children of God. Remember, God wasn't creating when He made you. He was procreating. Because you're made in His image. Jesus died for you. He died for you because He loves you. It's as simple as that. It's not rocket science. And even though we're sinners, Jesus can make us clean and new. Now, some of you are going, well, yeah, kind of the world... Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. <laughs> Didn't we just take care of that? He, do, he doesn't only know what you've done. He knows what you've thought. He knows the words that are going to come out of your mouth before they come out of your mouth. And He still loves you. Not just everybody, but you. Individually, He loves you. You are known. You are not a random accident. You are not an insignificant speck that no one will miss. You have a position. You have purpose. God has a plan for your life to live out here on this earth. There is a spiritual realm. There is an enemy who is trying to kill you. He lies to you. He surrounds you with lies. The devil's a liar. But if we do what John says, listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in Him there's no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. That's the way it would be with the devil, right? But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and Him. 
And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. You see what's there for us? In, in the midst of a culture where there isn't connectedness like there needs to be, where people are so disconnected, we can have that connectedness to our Father. And in community of fellowship like this church, we can have connectedness to one another, and we can drive down deep into that connectedness, and it'll make a difference. And in the process of all of that, those lies are going to be exposed to the light because Satan hates the light. And even though he's way stronger and smarter than you, he's nothing compared to Jesus. And if Jesus is in you, you win. You will always win. We can have a greater fellowship. And listen, you can go all the way back to the Old Testament to Moses. His last sermon before he goes up on Mount Nebo in Deuteronomy 30. Look what he says to you and me today. He says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, you are known, and he wants you to choose life. Choose life. You know what? There's some that are here today that are fighting this battle right now. And I want you to know that as a church, we want to fight alongside of you. We want to surround you. We want to lock arms facing outward. We don't want the enemy to get to you. And we, we want you to do the same for us because we are all in the same battle. We all have the same problems. Just because some people may look better, they may polish it up better, they're still just as big a mess as you are. I'm the proof of that. We want you to have deep and meaningful and transparent relationships that will help you along the way. We need that, and we need those relationships grounded in our mutual faith in Jesus. But most of all, I want you to have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ because He's the only way to life. He said it Himself in John 14, 6, the day before He died for our sins, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is life. He is your life. Choose life. Choose Jesus. We're moving to a time of decision. So you know that what I'm saying is true, that there's this epidemic. And it's all because of this devaluation of life. And it's surrounded us, right? This whole devaluation of life has surrounded us, and we hear these lies, we believe these lies, and we don't have the structures in our life to change that, to counteract that, to hear those things. I, I, I was really contemplating that this week. I'm preparing for this message this week and last week. It, there's a word that hit me pretty hard this week. And it's a word that's in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the chapter that you heard read all those times you went to weddings. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not, you know that. 
loves patient, loves kind, doesn't boast, not proud, right? All that. And then you get to the bottom of it, like toward the end of the chapter, and it says, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I want to talk about the middle one. Because we don't talk about it a lot. And that's hope. You know, I think that people that are struggling, when we talk about an issue like suicide, that's where, right where it is. Hope. They don't have it. What is it anyway? What is hope? Hope is like maybe you see yourself in a place you'd rather not be, but you can see out in front of you enough to believe that there's something good coming, like there's something good on the way. And so hope is what's out in front of you. It's like, yeah, I can believe that. And I have to believe that a person who contemplates this is a person that can't see that. So I want to ask you a hard question. Each one of you individually, this question, where do you get it? Where do you find it? Where do you find it today? Where do you find hope? In the relationship you have? In the next thing you buy? The next accomplishment that you cross off or check mark? Where do you find hope? And where do you find hope that lasts? We've, we sing a song at the crossing and uh, in the chorus it says, Hope has a, a name. And his name is You see, I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of us really have a, a, a grasp of that. We don't have a hold of something called hope. And I want you to have hope today. If, if you don't have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ right now, I want you to know that there's going to be someone over there by that baptistry in just a moment. And they, they will be happy to pray with you or share with you anything about what it means to have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, you walk out of here with hope. Many of you are here today, and you're dealing with issues in your life, circumstances, challenges, right? And it's getting you down, and you're getting kind of caught up in the lower story. And I'm going to invite you to come up here and get down on your knees, because I guarantee you, if you're struggling with hope, and just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't struggle with it, I guarantee you, you get down on your knees up here and you spend a little time with the Lord talking to Him, you're going to get back up on your feet and you're going to be more hopeful when you get up than when you got down on your knees. Did you see anybody in that baptism video that got out of that water and looked frustrated? Did you see anybody that came, that their face broke through the water, and they were like, that was the dumbest thing I ever did? Do you know what I saw? Hope. That's what I saw. Maybe it isn't you. Maybe today, you're doing okay. You're a solid 7.5. You know? Maybe you're carrying a burden for somebody else. A lot of you, a lot of you are carrying a burden for someone else. I want you to consider coming up here with their burden 
and plead their case before Almighty God. You don't think He hears that prayer? He knew it before you put it in your mouth. He knew it when you were thinking the thought up, right? Huh. Some of you are going to see this. This this whole front is going to fill with people. And you're going to go, oh, it's full. We made lots of space here. You don't have to actually touch the steps. Just come up. Put some action to your desire, to your faith. Would you think that? Would you consider that right now? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, I'm praying, and I pray in Jesus' name that we'll just get out of our own way and let you have your way, and you would just speak to us right now. And that we would move because we know that you're there and that you care and that we're known. Pour your spirit out. Here. With your family. I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.